0: everyone, and welcome back to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I interview some pretty amazing disabled people and some amazing allies of the disabled community. In this episode, we are chatting to the one and only Samantha Rank. You will definitely know who Samantha is. She's an amazing broadcaster, actress, columnist, and just all around one of my absolute favorite people. Today, we're going to be talking to her about all things disability and her upcoming book, The Best Thing Since Life Bread. Can't wait to jump into this conversation.
1: What I think would benefit disabled people is to, again, like you said, not be bothered and to be seen as human, because we're not. You know, a lot of the things that I've experienced are what most people will experience at one time or another. Why be a sheep when you can be a unicorn? And I feel like my disability is my unicorn.
0: Samantha, thank you so, so much for joining me on The Wheelchair Activist. I've been so looking forward to having this conversation with you for so, so long.
1: I know, I know. And I feel really bad because I think I've like, I think I've like swapped and changed this appointment um, on a number of occasions. And you've been so gracious and courteous. So finally we made it happen so thank you because I think when I announced that I was having up, even before I think I announced having my book you messaged me mm-hmm. and you were like I would love to get you on the podcast um, and I was like oh oh perfect timing because I'm going to announce my book for launch so yeah I'm glad that we finally made it happen What's what's that expression like oh I'm really bad at expressions I'm, I'm half German and my mum was rubbish at expressions what is, it? what is it like you know if you wait long enough for something it's worth the wait I don't know I'm no sure that makes a, sense is that it? yeah I'm sure there's an expression in there somewhere and um, also I don't know my cats are now telling me off because I've been preoccupied all day I got home I've been just finishing the last day of my audiobook. book I got home quite uh well about half one or two and then I went out for some lunch and then I came back and the cats were like oh, she's finally back home. I can like, you know, have my mum all to myself. Mm. And then I sat on bloody TikTok. So I'm now on TikTok, which I hate, but I feel (laughs) like I kind of have to be there because everyone who's cool is there. So I I sat there. I'm not even going to lie. I sat there for nearly an hour trying to do one bloody TikTok. I I kept doing it wrong. So, yeah. And now I'm talking to you. So the cats are literally like, what the heck? What the heck is going... (laughs) well you know hey
0: cats cats always come first as do my dogs dogs always come first but so so many things even just in that that I want to talk to you about but first of all should I be on TikTok because no no? because I had a friend who's um, I think she's Gen Z and Mm -hmm. she was telling me that like anyone who's anyone in disability is on TikTok and I went on it and I texted my friend minutes after I downloaded it and said I think I hate it
1: yeah and so I was like you so then I downloaded it and I was like no hell no hell no and then obviously because of the book launch I was a bit like okay potentially this could be quite prosperous for I looked at it as like a business exchange as I actually do with all my social media I genuinely mm. believe that um if I wasn't in the public eye or you know even because I'm now and again very rarely I must add very rarely I make um, money from some of my Instagram posts so um if it weren't for that if I if I couldn't see like some sort of positive tangible outcome then I would probably like close everything down um because I'm such a hurt we'll go on to that a bit later contrary to popular belief I am quite a solace kind of individual however I'm on I'm on it and I think i have warm to it a little bit um i only because I've successfully posted about five five posts um but I don't know it's just another thing to think about and because yeah. I am not I think because I'm not striving to be, you know, an Instagram star. Like this is not my, this is not where I see my life going. I'm a little bit half-hearted about it. So I think, and I'm a bit like that with all social media. Like now and again, I love the interactions and I love the conversations and I love learning from other people. Don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, it can be all consuming. And um, I I have an addictive personality. And I think social media is just another drug, you know. Um, I've, I've done the, I've done the binge drinking. I've done the chain smoking. I've done all, you know, all the rest of the, all the naughty things. And uh, and now social media is like the more sociable, mm. more social, socially acceptable drug. And now I'm a bit like, hmm, I've got to really, really watch myself to not just get absolutely obsessed with it. I think I'm, I think because I'm such a people person. I like to be present when I'm somewhere. And yeah. I don't, You know, if I could, I mean, maybe this is something I need to do. If I could hire someone literally to follow me around when I do fabulous things and record on my behalf and be like a social media person, I think that would be fine. I'd be totally, if I could like, you know, relinquish all my, you know, <laughs> uh, Not my rights But you know Relinquish all my responsibilities With social media I think I'd be more than happy To do that So, But hey Anyone out there Looking to be my Very own uh, social media guru Please give me a call Or hey No Hit me up on TikTok Uh
0: (laughs) Yeah Help Samantha Get TikTok famous By being our videographer Photographer All that jazz But let's get on To your book, which I—I'm I, right? I, so excited to read it. But tell us a little bit about it, and I will say that um, if you, you need to tell the story of behind the title, because you okay. said this at a scope event that was for yeah. colleagues that I was on, and I thought if I don't have you tell that on my podcast, I'm going to be so upset. So yeah, <laughs> tell us about the book.
1: Right. So this is a, so ironically, this is like a, a question that still terrifies me because I haven't like refined and I haven't perfected the um, the answer because the book every every time I speak to someone about it and every time like I revisit it to read it or have to you know like for the audio book I'm like oh it's about this oh it's about this oh it's about that and I'm like no Samantha you kind of need it in your mind to to be a bit more concise so. Basically, how it came about was, as we all know, before the pandemic, you know, life was going hunky-dory, like for most people. And I had the the privilege of having an email from Fern Cotton, who's a very well-known presenter in the UK. I kind of grew up watching her. She, I think she started presenting when she was like 13, 14 years old, like something ridiculous um anyway so she her team reached out to me and said we would love for you to be part of happy place festival which is a well-being festival and that even that was like oh my god this is like a major moment then obviously the pandemic hit and everything went virtual and although I was still one of the guest speakers it just wasn't the same you know I kind of wanted I kind of wanted you know to be up on stage where what I love doing you know being the center of attention giving like Giving Fern a massive hug on stage, and and you know living living my best life. Um. Anyway, we stayed in contact, and we found out that we were both incredibly um eccentric cat lovers. So we bonded over our love of cats, and we would send one another um very very sweet and very uplifting like voice notes all the time. And and over the pandemic, over the next couple of years, we just became good friends, which is lovely, very flattering. And she she was like, look. You know, through Happy Place, I'm expanding my brand. So every year I'm going to be doing something called um, an imprint. So basically all her books get, all, all her Happy Place books, she's written at least five, I believe. Um, They all get published by Ivory, which is part of Penguin. And she was like, look, Sam, would you like to write a book? And of course you say yes. So that's how that came about. Oh but my God, book, I love that. Yeah, but then the book title, similarly, is that the right? Is that that was a lot of L's, Similarly, similarly, is that right? I had a little day. Similarly, like, similarly, similarly.
0: I feel like we've said it too many times now. It's okay, gone hi. weird.
1: You, you guys, you guys and girls, know what's happening. Um. Anyway, so I I had an equally weird interaction with boy George and his team. And now, I've never met, this is the weirdest thing, I've never met Boy George, however, I've been living in London for about 10 years, and when I first moved to London, I was a bit of a party animal, and I would always go um, partying, all all my friends were gay, and I would always hang out with my gay friends, and they would take me clubbing, and obviously, Boy George is a wonderful DJ as well, so... He would used to be DJing a lot of the events that I would go to, and I always remember being like, "Oh my god, I really want, I really want Boy George to notice me." And I, and I always used to be like, "Oh, I wish I could like go up to the to the um, DJ booth and say hello." And it just never happened. It was either too crowded, and you know what it's like being a wheelchair user you don't want to get you don't want to get squashed just to go and meet Boy George. Yeah. I mean, unbeknown to me, Boy George clearly had noticed me um and thought I was the dogs the dogs you know what dangly bits and we have a few mutual friends um and and he apparently have always wanted to collaborate with me on something so he was like why don't you come in the studio I've got a new album coming out and I've got one song that would be perfect and maybe we can do something fun in the studio but again, like Happy Place Festival, I was all ready to go in the studio. I was all ready to meet Boy George, like I was gonna meet Fern, and everything was gonna be like, "Wee!" And um, and then it didn't happen. So Boy George and his team were like, "Okay, he still wants to work with you, but just this is this this is a song. Learn the lyrics, but just record yourself um miming on your phone." And I was absolutely depressed because although it was a great opportunity, it wasn't what I had in my mind. I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had, a, I had a, like a moment of just constant. Well, I had a few weeks of just feeling sorry for myself. And then I snapped out of it, as I often do. I always allow myself to wallow for a little while. And then I literally slap myself and go, Samantha, you're better than this. And then get over it. But I literally say that to myself.
0: You sounded a little bit like <laughs> Joanna Lumley there. I love that that's your like tough alter ego. I just now yeah. can't
1: unsee that. <laughs> so um, so I was like, right, if he wants me to just record it on my phone, I am going to record it on my phone. So I created all these like, I think I made like five different characters. I I got I even because I was shielding, I was actually at my mum's shielding and um and I had like I had like some of my clothes shipped from London all the way to my mum's because I had like like fake fur jackets because I was like yes. going I was like extra. I was like all these like all these alter ego characters that I'd had for this video. So then I I, I was quite impressed with myself because I kind of produced a little video. And I sent it to George boy George. Sorry, and he was like, "Oh my god, I wasn't expecting this. I need to now step up my game." And um, he went on TV, and so basically, the song is called "You Are the Best Thing Since Life Bread." And he went on television and actually said, "Like, I actually do think Samantha is the best thing since life bread." And I kind of, I wasn't originally going to use it for the book title because I didn't want that overlap. I didn't want people just to be like, "Oh." you know she stole it from x y and z and we played around with a few of the book titles but nothing really stuck and i was like Do you know what at that time in my life when i was writing the book i needed someone like boy george to say to me get a grip you are the best thing since sliced bread you know it but you've just forgotten it for a while and and i and i guess that is the mess that is the overall that is the overarching message of the book you know we've I know that before coming on properly on why there with you, so to speak, um, you know we've we've talked about a lot of themes, and we talked about inspiration, porn, and this whole concept of you know feeling inspired by disabled people. And I kind of un- I wanted to unpack that, and I wanted to in the book, you know, teach people a little bit about disability. I wanted to be very very blunt about some of my lived experience, in my life, but also you know saying that you know a lot of a lot of who I am is so multi-layered and a lot of the you know a lot of my success is not necessarily you know down to what people might think my success is because you know you know like people think oh you must be successful because you've overcome your disability or you you know and it it actually isn't and throughout the book so the book is um effectively a memoir but I don't really like saying that because I'm like 36 years old and I'm like, can I even say I've got a memoir? Because that sounds a little bit wonky. That sounds a little bit like, you know. But anyway. Hey, if
0: if Justin Bieber, I think he has more than one <laughs> memoir. And he's what? At the time, he was probably 19. If he can have memoirs, you can have a memoir.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. That makes me feel good. So if it's a memoir, then fair, fair enough. There's a memoir and it's relatively chronological. It's, yeah, I suppose so. But each chapter has a life lesson. Each chapter is reflecting on a milestone in my life. So like the good and the bad. So I talk about um, uh, grief. I talk about um, my move to London. I talk about, you know, my internalized ableism. I talk about um, my dating. I talk about sexual assault. I talk about rejection. I talk about a a whole host of things um and and I'm and kind of reflecting on okay this is this is what pushed me this is what drove me and what have I learned I hope I do it in a non you know I'm not a life coach um I mean it'd be something that I'd love to maybe look at in the future to maybe you know I because I used to love doing counseling and um delivering counseling I very so I did a lot of night courses in counseling ironically but then um it fizzled out so it's definitely something that I would like to grow as but I'm absolutely not at this moment in time a life coach however I don't think I don't think to share your story and to say look everyone is fascinated by my journey maybe so some, maybe sometimes for the wrong reasons because they might have you know had they objectify me but um I want to be like you know there's actually not much difference between you and I, you and I you know a lot of the things that I've experienced are what most people will experience at one time or another
0: yeah I think that that's really interesting and I think that's a really unique way of sort of going about talking about disabilities showing how similar our lives actually are to non-disabled people whereas I think you know people will think that to be an activist or you know an awareness raiser of disability you mm-hmm. have to highlight the issues that no one knows about like you know Mm -hmm. the extra costs that disabled Mm -hmm. people face or things like that but I think that that can be really powerful Mm -hmm. in sharing the the similarities between us and non-disabled people and I hate using it like those words because it's so othering obviously which we don't approve of but I think that that's so interesting.
1: Yeah I mean particularly like the the I talk about body image and my journey for that and Mm-hmm. it's really weird because it's funny so when I when I told a few people I probably wasn't legally allowed to but you know what it's like you've had a couple of couple of glasses of wine and then you talk <laughs> about the wag I told a few people and straight away my disabled friends went oh my god it's not going to be an inspiration porn book is it and then my non-disabled friends were like yeah 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 but you're not going to just talk about disability because you're much more than that and I was like whoa whoa, whoa back off all of you <laughs> it's like, it's it's my book, my, my book. book, and yes, it's going to be a bit of everything because it is because all of that's touched my life, you know. Um, and I think again, I'm very I don't shy away from talking exclusively about things like even like the extra cost or you know kind of how ha- uh, uh, um, inaccessible housing and things like that. But I think the, like you just said, like you know, I try to get the key messages of we've all felt rejection. We've all felt, you know, lost. We've all felt when something hasn't necessarily gone the way we wanted it to go and we felt like a failure. We've all had body body hang-ups. We've all, you know, kind of felt like we're not worthy enough of love or or accomplishment. So how is that exclusive to just disabled people? It's not.
0: Yeah, and that's... I think that's so valid. And I think it's just the way that we can experience some of those things. Like, you know, we've all been rejected for jobs, for Mm. example, and that's sort of a universal thing. But I think for us there, again, I'm using this othering language I hate, (laughs) but for a disabled People sometimes it can there's that voice in the back of your head thinking, well, is it because I disclosed Absolutely. I was disabled or in, you know there are, there can be disability specific instances mm-hmm. of all of those things that you mentioned, but we do also live a life outside of disability yeah. that you know comes with all the good and the bad that everyone's lives comes with. Mm-hmm
1: absolutely and you know it's not about I said this the other day it's not about like top trumps like who has it harder or you know like they could be non-disabled people who are discriminated against in the workplace because the boss doesn't like their accent or you know what I mean but but like us it can be so hard to prove and you know because Mm. we are because because living in a disabled world is so apparent we can kind of call it out and we ha- we can say that was ableism, that was disabledism, that was, you know, whereas, you know, everyone in one way or another can feel all these things, but in different ways. And, you know, it shouldn't be a competition. Of course, we need to we we need to address the gravitas of, you know, some of the things that we are absolutely alienated from. I'm not detracting from that. But I just think what what I think what I think would benefit disabled people is to again like you said not be othered and to be seen as humans because we're not yeah yeah I think yeah yeah. no I think that that's all that's
0: also important because I think that's the only way that we're going to sort of get any type of common ground with the people who don't experience the issues that we do every day it's about making us not seem like the the tragedy or the inspiration that we quite often get you know put in boxes of yeah. it is that we are other people you know you can be disabled and gay you can be disabled mm-hmm. and a person of color and you know, or a, a disabled person who likes country music or you know just <laughs> any. <laughs> oh. yeah no we, we're not we're not friends with them um, but, but you know our lives are so multifaceted the way that everyone else's is and it's about making us seem more humans we're not the superhero yeah. we're not the tragedy
1: but I don't but I don't do it in a facetious way like I don't do it in a false way like I just share my life and as I read it back I'm like see there's so much commonality you know, uh, I talk about I talk about having asymmetric boobs. That's nothing to do with my disability necessarily. Like most of my girlfriends have got asymmetric boobs. Yeah, you know, I think
0: <laughs> everyone I think everyone has like a one <laughs> side of the body that's slightly larger. But yeah, but it's yeah? it is that it is you know talking about things and like finding connections. That's that's so important. And I want to ask you a big. Question that I I'm think, going to say no
1: straight away. No, I'm yeah.
0: <laughs> I I think I've heard you answer this, but I'm really interested in getting like your take on this. But what does disability mean
1: to you? Gosh, I think I, it's something that I am incredibly proud of. Like I I I think because I was born with a disability, I've never really known anything else. And like I I. I I've always seen, and I speak about this in the book, and I call it like a uniqueness because I do think it was a uniqueness because I was definitely the only kid in school with a disability, or I, what I could, what I knew. I'm sure that wasn't the case. I'm sure there was probably a lot of people who were neurodivergent that I just wasn't aware of. But in, in my mind, I was definitely the only, you know, the only kid in the village with a disability. Um, so it's always been something that has been quite an innate confidence within me, and it's only through other people who have made me think that it is something to be ashamed of, or it's only as I've grown a little bit older and I realize that the system just doesn't really give a monkey's about disabled people. and You know, all these, these, yeah, yeah. You know, Um, then, then I've been like, wow, okay, so that takes on a different meaning. But I've always genuinely, and I don't say this again, like in an unsincere way, I think I've always, just quite liked it. I quite like. I'm an attention. I've always been an attention seeking person. but I was always one of them, and really annoying children. Like I think you call them like jazz hands. You know, like look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. And I look. And I love the fact that I used to get free sweets and teddy bears and attention. And people would crowd round me. And you know, even when I came to London, I talk about my clubbing days in London. I don't go into all details because I would probably get into a lot of trouble. But I talk about even that experience of how people were drawn to me because I was this petite. And I, I actually quote in the book, you know, I was a petite, I, I was a a a, a tiny a, a tiny Kylie Minogue on wheels. You know, I, like oh that's God, how I felt, you know? Um and and so I've I've always kind of worked it to my advantage. As perhaps someone would, you know, a woman with big boobs is like, you know what, these bad boys are going to get me some free drinks tonight. You know, yeah, Like I've, yeah. I've kind of always, um, I've always, there's been obviously shitty times where, I, where I've where i been like, oh, that's, that, you know, that's blatant discrimination and that's only because I'm disabled. But I think the positives have outweighed the benefits and I, you know... I, again, I talk about my niece. So my niece actually has um, hearing loss in one ear. And um, and she's like, how old is Marcia now? I think she's 10 now. I lose track. They all grow up so fast. But um, last time I went to go and visit her in Ireland, it was her older sister's um, cheerleading competition. So we went to the sport local sports hall to cheer everyone on. It was a big competition. So there was like hundreds and hundreds of kids. And all the kids, well, most of the kids were in like cheerleading outfits, and then their siblings were all very much like similar, like you know, very much like wearing the most fashionable clothes, and you know, just being quite, quite. I call it cheap, like you know, being yeah. cheap. And then Marcia, who was probably about seven or eight at the time, um, she was she's really she was really into unicorns. She wore unicorn headband. A unicorn, like multicolored top, unicorn not matching to the top, unicorn leggings, unicorn trainers, and a unicorn bag. It literally looked like a unicorn had thrown up, and that she had been created. Like it was like glitter and everything, right? Yeah. And, she, and she just walked into that hall full of maybe three hundred kids, her her similar age, looking completely unique and beautiful. And she just didn't give a shit. And I, I was just watching her going, oh, my God, I love you. Like, everyone needs to be more Marcia, you know? And it's like, why be a sheep when you can be a unicorn? And I feel like my disability is my unicorn. And I know some of you listening will probably think, "Ugh, what a load of tosh. But he genuinely believes that. And I think maybe, you know what, I'm going to be honest, maybe it was a coping mechanism. Because if I didn't believe in myself and if I didn't find love for myself, then I probably, other than my mother, um, I probably wouldn't have that, you know, that love Mm. um, and adoration. So I think from a very young age, I dug deep to be like, this is who I am. This is pretty cool, you know, Um, and we're going to work with what we've got.
0: How do you get to that point of thinking that this is really cool when I think society tells us so loudly that yeah. it's such a horrible fate mm. to, you know, fall upon you. And, you know, like, I'm sure not everyone views it as that
1: way, yeah. but how, and how, and how do you get there? And I don't all the time. This is not me saying that I wake up every morning with the sound of music, you know, like birds twerping and, you know, like, yeah. a, like a Disney princess. Far from it. I think, first of all, I think I've always had quite an innate sense of worth. I, like, a, you know, going back to the jazz hands, I think that there's something that is just within me that I was born. I, I was born a communicator. I was born to be center stage. That this hasn't, I don't think this is something that has been developed. I genuinely think it was just me. So I think that has helped. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I appreciate not everyone has that ability because some people are introverts. You know uh, and that's okay too but i definitely think that gave me the edge um but i think for me and my sister's been quite uh, my older sister stephanie has always been quite um good at giving me advice and i write a lot again about her sometimes i write so much about my sister i'm a bit like maybe like i should have credited my sister a bit more for this book um <laughs> she gave me so she gave me so much lovely wisdom as a as a youngster and and growing up there's I think there's about four and a half years difference between us and um she she taught me how to change my perspective on situations even if even if um that was just a veil even if um it wasn't reality but if it made me believe in myself then it was worth trying to switch and I'll give you an example um when I was a teenager, I, like many others, us, um, I actually went to counseling. I felt probably the lowest I've ever been in my life. Um, suicidal thoughts, very, very low time. That's what I'm saying. Like, don't, don't for one minute think that I'm like this all the time. Like, I, I'm a human being mm. and I feel, you know, and I can feel trauma and sadness and depression and anxiety and, you know, frustration like everyone else. Um, however, how I manage it, is I think I've already talked to you about this. You know I do allow myself that moment of violence. I get my violins out. I feel I, I throw my toys out the pram. I go. It's not fair. I fucking hate everyone. I hate my life. I hate being disabled. I do it and I do it. Sometimes I do it with drink. Sometimes I, when I used to smoke, I used to chain smoke myself to death. Or sometimes I used to go clubbing and literally not come out of the club for forty-eight hours. And you know kind of suppress it like that. And now I do it by watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer on repeat, like literally like whatever my coping mechanism is, any single lot of pasta and ice cream. So I've kind of matured, like I'm not a self-destructive, but I've definitely, you know, I still I still have those moments. But I then I then say, right, you've given yourself that time, you need to snap out of it. And when I was about 17, I, my mom and my sister dragged me to Ikea and I didn't want to go because I was, you know, just, I'm depressed. I didn't want to leave my bed. And they dragged me anyway. And you know what it's like? When you're having a bad day, you can see people staring at you. They might not be staring more than normal, mm. but, but you feel it. And I hated it. And I could feel everyone looking. And um, one thing about me is even if I'm feeling down, I always, I love fashion. So I always, that's something I don't ever compromise. I never have. So I always like put lipstick on or something, you know? And we came outside and I just broke down in tears. And I was like, everyone's looking at me like, you know, I hate everyone. And it's so shit being disabled and I'm so ugly and blah, blah, blah. And my sister said to me, and my sister does not have fashion sense. I know that's, I know fashion is subjective, but believe me, she's just not very good. Um, (laughs) and, um, And she said to me, she went, have you ever thought that they're staring at you because your outfits are always incredible? Like, and you look beautiful. And I was like, I looked at her. First of all, I was taken aback because I was like, wow, my sister's giving me a compliment. And then I was like, oh, no, I've never thought that way. And she went, well, maybe instead of jumping to conclusions, maybe next time stop and say, yes, I look shit hot today. Or yes, I'm a badass today. And even if someone is being an ignorant prick, and is staring at you because they are wankers, right? If you and your mind smile back and go, yeah, I know, I look fit. <laughs> Honest to God, <laughs> that is how I get through it. And I think the more you believe in yourself, I think that radiates. It's a bit like pheromones, isn't it? Like, you know, like when women are on their period, when I am on my period, I attract more men. Like I attract more like, like, who, hey, you know, I definitely do. And I'm like, yes my pheromones pheromones smell me but I think that's the same as confidence it mm. from our body you know it um it, it and I think people pick up on that energy and I mm. think and I think even, you know and I think to be honest you had a point there might be out of maybe five people that stare at me maybe one of them people are like oh my god I love I love that lipstick. I wonder where she got it from. Mm. And even the other day, I was like in my power wheelchair. And when I'm in my power wheelchair, I'm literally like top gear, like flying around like really fast. Yeah, get the hell out and of my way. Like, hey, it's so dangerous. And um, and this jogger, this jogger jogged past me. And then I stopped at a traffic light and she like jogged back. She went, oh my God, oh my God, I love your outfit. And then walked on it, like went on again. And then uh, I thought, oh. And then she spotted me again. She went, oh, you still look amazing. <laughs> like there's something else, like another day. And um, and I think there are sincere, sincere people out there who don't always think badly or negatively of disabled people. You know, perhaps they've dated someone with disability. Perhaps their mother's disabled. Perhaps they, you know, they they work with disabled people. Perhaps they're just not ignorant wankers. You know. So I think I think we need to give ourselves a bit of a break now and again. And I say that, you know, having brittle bones so i don't say that in a literal sense um but i think we need to maybe switch our thought process from time to time because it's never because always feeling sad and frustrated which we are entitled to do because life with a disability is hard um it's not doing anyone a favor it's not helping us in any way you know give yourself those Mm. days but Give the, give yourself those days where you literally are allowed to be fucked up at the world. Do it. Schedule mm. it in. Like, schedule it in. Have, have two days a month where you literally tell everyone to fuck off, you turn your phone off, you order junk food, and you cry, and you're like... oh, ah, ah, ah. And then you go, right. Yeah. I think that that's such good advice and
0: but I really love that changing the perspective of what if they're looking at me for something other than what I think they're Mm -hmm. thinking and you know I just as you were talking I was thinking about like this time that I was on the train and someone was looking at me and you know as usual I got Mm self-conscious and all of that but then they were like I'm really sorry to interrupt well, where did you get your boots? I love them? And I thought, oh my God, I am a trend setter.
1: <laughs> so though, isn't it? Yeah,. True. And again, don't get me wrong like so I again I, when I write about my one of my hardest chapters to write about is you know relationships because I'm still mm. if anything in my life, I'm still self- deprivating when it comes to relationships. I still I still a lot of the time feel like I will never find love and I'm unlovable. And it, and it's really weird when I wrote when I wrote the chapter, one of the final chapters. So I've been doing all these like positive things and talking positively. Mm. Um and then I'm like, okay, so this chat I just want everyone to know this chapter may sound like a real like contradiction because what I'm about to say to you might feel like a contradiction because mm. I've been like, yes, yeah, what's your thought process, do this. Well, again i'm a human being and yeah. sometimes there's areas of my life where i struggle to do that and one of them areas is dating and the reason why is because i've experienced a lot of trauma with dating relationships mm. so you know um it's harder to have that swaparoo but it's something i'm working on it's something where i'm trying to take my own advice when relationships is, is um it's uh when I'm talking about relationships you know I've done it in career, I've done it with friends I've done it in my own self-belief I've done it in you know find inner strength I've done it with all these other areas so I know I'm capable of doing it but I do definitely have deep-rooted issues with um with dating and relationships and and maybe that's something I need to we was talking about therapy that's definitely yeah. something I need to work on But I think, again, I I had to write that chapter in the book, even though it might sound a bit contradictory. And I don't want anyone to read it and go, well, she's a total liar, because now all of a sudden she's saying that when it comes to men, she closes down and she Mm. thinks she's unlovable. I didn't want it to be like that. I actually wanted it to be a really um, vulnerable part of the book in the sense that saying that I don't always get it right. But I've never said that I do. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but I think that's really important and it goes to, I should say that you and I were talking for a good 40 minutes before I pressed record. But I think like the thing that we were talking about was that, you know, yes, we are disabled, but there are so many other parts about us. And, you know, there's so many other parts of our personality and the way that we view our lives in different ways. And I think that relationships is always, you know, when I speak to particularly when I speak to other disabled women, is a really difficult nut to crack. And, you know, I think it is allowing yourself to be human and allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to feel that vulnerability and that lack of confidence in that area, but then trying to think, okay, well, why, why is this? And when we were talking before we pressed record, we talked about the perception that particularly with someone like you who is very in the public eye and is very busy and appears to be having a very successful career mm-hmm. that you know there there's still everything else that yeah. is going on in your life so absolutely. even though you're confident in one area it doesn't mean that you have to be confident yeah. everywhere yeah.
1: absolutely not absolutely not and like you know like- I, I wanted I wanted to talk about my disability experience, but also, you know, say that that also, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not just that, that identity. And with when I talk about um my relationships, I do talk about disability-centric issues around dating and disability. So I talk about practicalities, I talk about being fetishized, you know, I talk about all these very centric oh, kind of issues. That,
0: that's the worst.
1: Well, exactly. But then I also talk about the fact that I have got, I've, all the men in my life have been quite toxic, or all, you know, I lost my father at a very young age, so the, the strongest male role model, model died when I was nine, you know, so these aren't to do with my disability, but they've all added to my, my, tr- my troubles with, uh, and insecurities about dating, so mm. of... Some parts have come because of the issues to do with disability and then other parts is because I've actually not seen healthy relationships growing up.
0: I think it just, it made me think of this time that I decided that I was going to write an article about being on online dating as a disabled woman. And so as part of that, I had to actually do the online dating thing. And I had a friend who helped me put together my profile and like, you know, help me figure out opening messages and all of that stuff. And she, um she was also, she's also a wheelchair user. And we were going through profiles, we were sitting in a Costa and, you know, looking at these profiles and sort of assessing them. And I went, oh no, and you're going to be personally offended by this. But I went, oh no, I can't swipe yes on them. They're a cat person.
1: But- oh no! I- <laughs> I'm personally offended. Can we can we finish this conversation? No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah.
0: But she just went, Emma, you can't not swipe yes on them because they have a cat. And I went, Why not? Why not? But you know, for just that as an example, but why can't you sort of have your own preferences and Absolutely. be picky, have standards and All of that in all of these other areas that have nothing to do with your disability. You, you know, some people would think, well, you should just be swiping right on everyone, yeah. Because,
1: but this is it. I, I, I get a lot of attention, but I have high standards. And we were talking again before we we spoke, and it's something that we're going to talk about more. But about carers and PAs and how I I have got a very high standard when it when it comes to hiring someone and that shocks people I and mean, people think I'm being awkward or difficult because I'm like, that wasn't good enough. This needs to be better. That needs to be better. I'm very similar when it comes to relationships, but I'm like, you know, I get praise. I get, you know, adoration. I get, you know, all this kind of you're amazing. You're inspirational. God, whoa, wow, how incredible you're written a book. You're doing that. And is, it, is it nothing you can't do? You get all this like positive, you know, language thrown at you, and then when I turn around, similarly to you, and go, "Yeah, I won't date them because they don't really have much aspirations. Nothing against them, but I need someone to meet my yeah, meet me intellectually, enthusiastically, like you know what I mean. And that's again because I don't think we're seen as human beings. And I and I hope, yeah. and I hope if." this book in any way is a book to educate and that's not the main reason but on disability but I hope in a by a byproduct of the book will will hopefully enlighten a few people and potentially break down a few of those barriers you know
0: yeah and I think it's it's so important to try and do that but What I love about the way that you're doing it is from your own experience, your own lived experience. It's not coming from a place of I'm just delivering a talk, which can in itself be very valuable. But, you know, talking about the Equality Act 2010, that's Mm -hmm. great and that's really informative. But Mm -hmm. I think it's so powerful coming from a place of lived experience when you're trying to address issues and eventually knock down barriers for other disabled people it, it just humanizes it yes. and so we talked about you as a child being like little miss jazz hands um <laughs> so who who would you say were your role models when you were growing
1: up it's going to make me sound completely narcissistic and egotistical but I didn't really have any I think I uh, Buffy was a big part of my life um, but prior to that, again, I need to say about, you know, I had this innate sense of worth and I looked up to myself. I genuinely did. And I think from a young age, and I don't want to say anymore because I don't actually want to give too much of the book away. But there was a in one of the chapters I write about an experience I had at primary school. So I was probably only what? I think my dad was still alive. So under under nine years old and I had a horrendous experience at primary school. And in that moment, I came to realize that some people, not all, some people have no respect and even despise disabled people. And in that moment, I think that gave me strength because I was like, okay, I need to be strong for me and I need to look up to me. Um, because the reality is um I'm I'm in for a bit of a rocky ride. And I suppose that's quite sad to think that little samantha felt that but actually instead of like knocking my confidence i think it did the opposite i think it gave me because i've always had this i'll show you attitude um which which again i go into the book which isn't always long-term effective it serves a purpose to kind of prove the world that you can or you should or you you know and have that fire in your belly i think you know that can be very positive in in some situations but what I'm finding now is you know um living life to not not to prove anyone to live life that makes you happy I think that's where I am now but I think it's a journey that we all have to kind of go through but again proving we all irrespective of who we are we all kind of have that fire at some point in our life, whether it's, you know, proving to an overbearing parent who doesn't, you know, who, you know, or, or the fact that your older sibling is a doctor and your parents want you to follow their footsteps. But you're, you're you know, you want to be a singer or, you know, you are, you, you know, whatever that is, or whether you're part of a religious faith where there's pressure to be a certain way or whether, you know, your sexuality dictates you have to behave a certain way. So we can all relate to those pressures of wanting to prove to society uh, or whoever um, that we we can or we will or we you know um, yeah. we, we are worthy. But um, but yeah, I think me. I think the only other disabled person I saw was Dame Tammy O Thompson. You know, and I remember seeing her. There was an interview, and not for her sporting because I was not not interested in sports at all. But I remember her doing an interview talking about giving birth to her daughter and again I must have only been very young and I was like what we can have kids and um yeah and and and, and that's what sticks in my head like that I saw that that on tv yeah um, but apart from that no no one disability wise I think obviously I felt very inspired by um other people in my life and my family and my my sister inspired me my sister was very much very much like me in the sense of we both have this innate confidence and go get mm. attitude um so she always inspired me but um but yeah I don't think anyone disability I think I've always just spent so much time and effort in just growing myself no
0: that's really valid and I I can't wait to read that section of the book where you realize that no, you know, that you had to be there and be the role model for yourself. I think mm-hmm. that that's fascinating. And, I, you know, on the point about, you know, Tandy Gray Thompson and having the child, what I will say, shameless self-promo for <laughs> another episode. But the episode actually came out today. So we're recording this at the end of June. Okay. Um, the episode that came out today with Kay Ashton is all about um, having are going through pregnancy through IVF and being mm-hmm. a single parent by choice with a disability. Wow! Um, so oh, I, I, def-
1: I can't wait for that one. That's so yeah.
0: And you know, because very like you, you know, I was under the impression that well, one, I didn't realize it was like medically possible and and then when i saw someone who had the same condition as me who had children and it was in the time it was back in the states but um it was talked about on the news because so many uh, professionals were advising her not to do it yeah, for medical yeah. reasons not because you know she wasn't capable of you know being a good mom but it was that what the pregnancy would do to her already you know weak body and it was just really fascinating um to see that other side of of the narrative so i mean definitely check out that
1: i will i will um
0: but when you were talking about that i'll show you attitude i i have to admit the first thing that came to mind was that Honestly, that sounds exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I remember this article that you wrote recently about admitting burnout with Mm -hmm. a disability. And if you don't read Samantha's articles for the Metro, like, please do. But
1: how... They're a bit like Marmite. Some people love them. Some people really don't like them. But (laughs) hey-ho.
0: But I find them so refreshingly honest. But I wanted to talk to you about, like, this I'll show you and this, like, Constant feeling that you need to prove people wrong or you need to prove people's perceptions of disability wrong. Like, how does burnout come into that? Because it's something I'm seeing come up ever so slightly more in the disabled community, but in my opinion, not enough.
1: It's, um, again, I think you need to separate my disability identity from just Samantha, the go getter, aspirational human being. So, you know, it's this, it's this, you know, the, the whole narrative, you're either a Paralympian or you're a benefits frownager and, you know, how we yeah. always kind of say, yeah, how we always kind of say, there's more of us and we are like, you know, in linked. And I said, who was I speaking to you the other day? And I said about, you know, I am very mindful that I don't want to be a pinup for all the disabled people. So I don't want, I don't want to be the standard, the benchmark for all the disabled people. And I'm very, very aware that I would hate it if someone were to go to someone and go, why can't you be like Samantha? You know, at the end of the day, um, I, it's in my blood. I think it's just in my character to be a person who's, I'm a bit like Monica from Friends. I have to constantly be in competition with myself. Mm. Um, and then you, th- so that's me at my core, right? That's me. Then you add on the disability element so then, people underestimate you. So then, competitive Samantha, who's already like, oh, "Gotta go, I'm gonna do this," got and then gets people going, "Oh, she won't. Oh no, she won't." So then, I've got that going. I'll fucking show you. I'll show you. So I have got that on top of it, and what you end up getting is burnout. <laughs> and I think, I think the fire that I've always had and that determination. And that kind of show you attitude has got me out of some very sticky moments and has got me mm. through some very dark times. So I, I like that, Samantha. But again, what I write in the book is I'm at a point in my life now where I need to be more selective when I bring that Samantha out. Because at one point, I, I was like on Adal- adrenaline. Adal- What's it called? The, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the drug for, um, it's, it's not
0: Adderall, is it?
1: Adderall, yeah, yeah, I was like, I've never had it, but I'm just saying. I always hear like American, t- like American programs going. I'm on Adderall. I'm like wired. Yeah. <laughs> well was but, that? Um, an accent? I don't know. <laughs> American accent? I thought that was a good American accent. Um, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think I felt like that all the time, and it was like push, push, push. And the problem is, it's a little bit like yes, people, like people people warm to that Samantha more because they like they like to have the inspirational go-getter and being the character that I am inherently that was that was like a drug for me having that positive reinforcement has been a drug for me having people be like she's so Mm. determined and now I'm a little bit like "Mm, but for whose benefit now Whose benefit because no one is there to pick up my pieces when I do burn out and my carer doesn't turn up. So so now I'm working on recognising that that part of me is not a negative part, but it needs to be used in a more manageable Mm. way. And I need to set more boundaries so that I can actually enjoy other elements of my life like i i so i no one believes me when i say that so i'm gonna be moving out of london in the next maybe 18 months because i just need to be in nature i need to be you know i feel like i've done london i feel like i've proved my points i feel like i've done it yeah Um, and now i'm like because you know i love doing i love pottering around i love reorganizing my drawers i love Making, I'm German, so this is kind of what we do. We're very arts and crafts, like you know, like having, I like having people, I like having someone over for afternoon tea and getting my napkins out. And I just recently bought new napkin holders, like rings, like like. So this genuinely brings me so much joy, and people don't believe me when I say that because all they see is this ah Samantha, and that's fine because that's what I project out onto the world. But when I actually say I am my happiest. Literally watching Buffy, scrolling on like like looking through Ideal Home magazines, like literally that is that is me. I am quite a again. I think this comes with an addictive personality. Your your I'm extremes, and at the moment, mm. I guess, um, I guess with the past two years and how disabled people have been treated. I guess I'm just leaning a little bit more towards doing more things for myself, rather than pushing myself to the edge for other people. Yeah, I really, I read that really
0: resonates with me. As you were talking, I was thinking about this time when I was at university, and I, you know, was I wasn't well. But I thought, oh, you know, it's fine. I'll go. It's just for one tutorial. Mm -hmm. I'll go. I'll do a two hour commute each way and Mm -hmm. do the one lesson and then come home. While I came home, I was septic. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you idiot. What were you doing? But at that moment, it was like, oh, I'll just push through. I'll push through. And I think it's only when you get a bit older that you realize Mm -hmm. what, your limits are, and you stop being as angry at them. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I finished university, it was a really bitter pill to swallow to realize that I couldn't commute into London full time for work because Mm -hmm. I just, I physically couldn't do it. I don't know Mm -hmm. a huge amount of non-disabled people that could do it, you know, let alone. Yeah. And I was really angry at that. And now, you know, with the two years of the pandemic and obviously not commuting, I'm thinking, I don't want to do that again. It's you know, right. it's, it's, it's not worth it. But I really like when you were saying that you've proven that you can do London. I immediately mm-hmm. thought, well, when I was telling people I was going to uni in London, they and commuting people were shocked and, yeah. you know, questioning can she do it? Should she yeah. do it? Would she do it? And I thought, well, I'm gonna like it's just an obvious, I'm gonna do this. And
1: yeah. It's I think sometimes we need to push ourselves, like even though we even though on the surface we probably do it to prove the world, to prove the haters, to prove the, you know, disbelievers that we can, actually then they might in the long run be doing us a favor because we can now reflect and be like, do you know what? I'm still proud of myself. I'm sure you're still proud of yourself for seeing what what was possible. But now we're in a place where I don't. I I don't speak for you, obviously. But now I'm in a place where I feel like I don't feel like a failure if I say no. I don't want to take that opportunity because I don't want to do the commute, or I don't feel like a failure, or I'm letting anyone down or myself down if I turn down opportunities, or if I say to people, actually, I don't want to go and meet you in a park. Because you're all going to the park, and I know full well that not only is that going to cost me sixty pound in a taxi, I'm going to be sat in a park in my sweaty wheelchair with no shade and no disabled toilet while you all get drunk. And that's fine. That's fine for me to say that, mm. and I don't have I don't have FOMO. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. there was one point, where there was one point where I would constantly, constantly sacrifice and push. But I will also mention. You and I are, in many respects, in a privileged position. I find I'm in a privileged position because I can be more selective. Oh, 100%, yeah. We are both in, in employment, um, and it, and that comes with flexibility because now I think, you know, I can turn around and go, no, I'm not. If you, if you, if you won't accommodate my needs, like doing a virtual session, then I just won't take the job. And I know that mm. there are many people out there that that is not an option for financial reasons, for whatever.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to acknowledge that privilege. And I was thinking about saying it as you were saying, you know, you know the feeling of I'm going to turn this one down, thanks. It, mm. You know, I, I thought the same thing. And I am very aware of, you know, how lucky we are to be in the positions that we are not to say we haven't worked our asses off to get there because I think you and I both definitely have and so many others have as well but it is a privilege to be able to turn down opportunities and you know just like doing this podcast I've reached out to people to be on it as a guest and when a disabled person says to me you know I would love to, but at the moment I'm prioritizing paid opportunities. I think good for you, you know, yeah, Yeah, like I respect that completely. You know, I wish I was in a position to be able to pay guests, but, you know, financially I'm not. I'm self-funding this project, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's looking out for what you need and what your priorities are and more power to you for whatever those decisions are that you want to make for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, But I think we can, irrespective of what our circumstances, I think we can still set boundaries, even if they're little ones. We can still, you know, they don't have to be as big as saying, well, I don't need to take that, you know, work opportunity or I can, you know, be as blunt as saying, no, you know, you know like pay me or 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 not you know and that takes that takes that even I have worked on that and now I'm very similar like you know I'm, I know my mm. work a bit more but that takes time and that takes you know experience and that takes failure and that takes you know evolving so that's fine but I think everybody can um can take a little bit everyone can take a bit more self-care everyone can maybe sit back and and look at things and, and even if it means writing a list of right, what are my priorities, and maybe then it will become clear that you know you can afford to, you know, have that one hour extra in bed resting on a weekend, or you know what mm. I mean. But I think I think I think we can we can do things to set our boundaries, no matter how big or small. And and I think over time, hopefully, we will find what is best for us you know, psychologically, physically, mentally. Um, But it's taken me 10 years. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've learned so much. I don't always get it right.
0: Mm. I have to say, though, that it was when I was working at Muscular Dystrophy UK that I first, like, I think that was when you and I first connected. And I was working with you on a body image campaign Mm. and we talked about payment and... Honestly, I think you were the first person that sort of made me think. Hang on, like if you're not in a sort of traditional working in you know situation,
1: yeah.
0: like I was with MDUK, like you can get paid for like you mm-hmm. know doing things like that, and you don't just have to be grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. And but it was like the way that you sort of explained it to me was I've no I really appreciated it but it made me think about like adding more worth to my own time and the projects that I want to be involved in and you know I can say now as like a blanket statement that I think everyone can agree with this disabled people do too much for free and you know people shouldn't and I say that as like I'm you know you're doing this podcast like for me for free but you know I'm not a, a big organization and I think if you're working with an organization that you know has resources then you know do ask when you're in conversations about a project you mm-hmm. know do
1: they have a budget to pay the talents, the exactly. experts and yeah. I mean, all exactly, of that exactly if they can pay for a building and they can pay for a caterer and they can pay for a photographer then they can pay you something, and I think for me it's more the principle because yes. um, you know I work with a whole host of different organisations. Some some things are really well paid, and some things people are like, I can literally give you fifty pounds. But I think for me, for me, it's the assumption that you would work for free. And you know, if someone was to say to me, Samantha, I like, I literally did something, and part, even probably of felt a bit bad. I did something for a local organisation. Um, they were like a group a, a network group for people with learning disabilities and intellectual disabilities but I even said to them I said have you got because they wanted two hours of my time and I said have you got you know a budget and I think they paid me 50 pounds and and I felt I had genuine After talking to them for two hours because they was such a lovely group and I loved doing it I did feel a little bit like oh I don't want to take any money off you but then I thought no because mm. I'm making a point I'm making a point because I might have had to pay for a carer to come and help me. You know, I, I mean, even irrespective of that, but you know what I mean? There are added costs when you're disabled, but don't get me wrong. Like I'm having issues at the moment and this is full transparency with broadcasters. You know, I'm having issues where broadcasters will approach me with an idea. And obviously i I'm, I'm doing presenting. I want to get more presenting work. I feel that is an area that I will flourish, but I feel very stifled in that area. And what happens is I get a lot of producers contacting me, pitching their ideas, and then going, can you jump on a call and talk about it? So of course, you know, in your mind you go, you're gonna say yes, you're gonna oblige, because if if they like you, then hopefully that will mean you'll get a presenting role. And they will they will sit there and talk to you and get all your kind of all your contacts, all your information, because I'm a new consultancy as well, and I'll talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I effectively shape shape the content content for their program. And then you don't, and then I don't get anything. I don't get any Mm. looking. And I said to my agent, now I said, I'm stopping doing it. I'm stopping doing it because I do feel, feel, I feel used by a lot of the broadcasters, you know, who get me on in a consultancy role effectively because they're picking my brain about who's the best people to contact. What do you, what's your take on this? when actually what they should be doing is getting giving these giving these programs disability centric programs giving them to disabled producers to produce so that they then don't have yeah. to come, then they don't have to come to people like me and if they do come to people like me it's for a proper role
0: yeah i think it's it just made me think of, at the minute, I'm binge-watching ER, um, okay. and you always see, like, in the credits, the medical consultants or the medical mm-hmm. experts that they'll, like, check things for accuracy, yeah. and it's really no different for disability in, no. you know, anything that we get asked to work on, whether that be entertainment, which is the field that you're in, mm-hmm. or if it's policy or, you know, inclusion, that type of thing, which is what... I do. It's, you know, we are experts, even if a huge amount of our expertise comes from lived experience. Like, we are still experts, and you should be expected to be paid for that. that,
1: And I think that because I do consultancy and I get paid work from consulting, it's actually consultancy is where I get most of my income from. You know, it's a form of teaching, and I used to be a teacher. You know, so this is something I do, but I think with broadcasters, I think they they are they can be just very very cheeky that's that's the problem, and me, this is what I'm saying I don't always get it right me i I let them take advantage because in my mind, I go, I have to say yes to them so that potentially I might get a presenting role, yeah, even though I have to i mean obviously
0: I'm not a broadcast person or whatever, but not that I didn't respect you before, but when you talk, like said about pay, I thought, wow, I do really respect you mm-hmm. for yeah. saying that because not only did it give like me enlightenment as, you know, a young disabled person at the time, but also it's like you value what you do enough to be like, Hey, I mm-hmm. think that you should consider at least consider paying me for this. Mm-hmm. And that really makes you think, Wow, you know, what they're going to contribute that if they believe it's really good I'm sure it is really good yeah. and you know don't downplay that and yeah, yeah I think that that's, that's so important so that's the advice that you gave me like sort of inadvertently but what advice would you give to young Samantha and then other people who are like you right now and
1: I think perhaps that- Care a little bit less on what people think. I think that advice that my sister gave me—if she would have been able to give that to me, maybe five years earlier—that would have been so beneficial. So, so that little swapperoo, like swap, change your mindset. You know, um, even if it is a coping mechanism, it can work wonders. It's like you just said. You know, that woman really wanted to know where your shoes were from. Like you know, don't. I think don't don't underestimate people and don't overestimate people you know um always go into a situation with an open mind um and and i think and i think that is true for any encounter or experience you know and i'm the worst for it. i'm a really big warrior i i can procrastinate i can go away thinking oh my god no one's liked me or they all hate me and so you know but i do and I, and like i said i do allow myself but it's it's catching it and I think it's about being present it's about being mindful if that's what you want to call it it's about going okay I'm thinking like this because of this but actually am I am I giving the situation enough credit am I going down the negative route because I'm programmed to go down that or is there another way of thinking or looking at this experience That's such good
0: advice. And I think I'm very similar in it. Sounds really bad, but I think sometimes when you're disabled, life can almost teach you to be cynical and like pessimistic, which I don't. It's not an attractive quality of myself. Like it's something that I know that I don't particularly like, but it's something that's just sort of a learned behavior. But Mm -hmm. I think if we can try and challenge that when we, notice ourselves doing it then you know that's that's the first step to mm. sort of going mm. what if they're staring at me because I look awesome mm-hmm.
1: and also you know I'm sure we've I'm sure you have all been in a situation where you've had a bad day or you know your goldfish has just died or you know you've had an argument with someone and someone thinks you're pissed off at them and actually it's nothing to do with them it's just you having a bad day so I think, you know, we just need to approach that with every every situation, you know, try and try and be kind to yourself a bit more because n- not everything might be as clean, uh, as clear as you might think in your head. And even and like I said, even if that person has been horrible and even if, you know, it is ableist or even, it, you know, it is overt discrimination, you know, um, kind of giving that smile back to someone who's rudely looking at you that that is empowering in itself that's what I do because actually it kind of really throws the balance off you know it throws that that kind of um so so this sounds really awful so I got um this delivery guy very quickly before I leave you this delivery guy the other day started giving me um telling me how rubbish my life is because God made him perfect and God made me disabled. And he was, like, going on and on and on and on and on, shaking his head at me, God, it's terrible, it's terrible. Look at you, it's terrible. I'm like, just give me my food. Um, but I actually said to him, normally I'm not this person because I, I try and be kind. And I <laughs> went, don't worry, mate. I went, don't worry, mate. I probably make more money in a day than you do in a month, so I'm fine. And I just thought, I mean, it was quite a bitchy thing to say, but I just thought, screw you. If you get, if you, <laughs> if you, if you, you you know, if you think that that's appropriate way to behave with me, I'm going to also throw it back in your face. <laughs> yeah, you in, in a weird way, it's also, ch- I mean,
0: you're obviously challenging this perception that he had of you, but he probably thinks that like you're probably just huddled in a corner crying exactly. over how awful your life is. Not that, you know, you're an incredibly successful career-minded person and, you know, do have all of these amazing opportunities. And yeah, I'll probably do make more money than him. But <laughs> I think, I think that it's, it's allowing yourself to have those moments every once in a while because we're n- like, no one is perfect, literally no one. And if you don't handle a situation the way that you, when you're thinking about it in a couple of days' time, you're like, oh, I wish I'd done Absolutely. that, then that's fine. Like, cut yourself some slack.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I did go away thinking like, oh, Samantha, that was really savvy because I'm normally not that savvy. But it, but you know, if that made him go away and go, okay, okay, wasn't expect, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, or <laughs> thinking maybe
0: I should have handled that differently. Yeah. But before I let you go, tell our wonderful listeners where they can find the book Sorry, and. Grab, tell, grab a tell them where they can get it, what formats they can get it. And also I my um my second guest on the podcast, Chloe Thames, her book just came out and okay. I wanted to I post dare. I dare
1: the disabled people be having books out. Yeah.
0: I and so I, I texted her and I said, which way of people buying it is gonna make you the most money? And then I'll push people towards that. Oh so bless
1: what, you. Okay.
0: What do you, so you want? Unfortunately.
1: So this is a book. Very, very snazzy. You the Beautiful. It's available now for pre-order. It will be available properly on the 21st of July. So mm-hmm. not that long. Um, so pre-orders are very, very important because apparently, you know when you get like on the top list, top 10 list or whatever, you yeah. know, like on the Times Magazine, um, it, it's to do to, with pre-orders because mm. – because the sales of your book are calculated from the first week of sales. But my book is out on a Thursday. So technically, I only have two days of sales. So they only do that. So pre-sales are really important. However, my, my, my agent, my PR people are going to be like, you shouldn't say this, Samantha. However, um, I got like a lump sum of money for writing Um so in theory, don't worry about like I, I won't be getting any, I won't be getting any extra, but what it would do would just be that, you know, the more I suppose the more interaction and the more people like the book and share the book and buy the book means that I get to do more nice things like go and talk about it on TV or on podcasts. So um so I get paid in that way, if that makes sense. But it's it's on Amazon, it's on all the other um kind of well known retailers. Um, there is gonna be a Kindle um, I've done the audiobook there's Kindle there's gonna be paperback because obviously hardbacks I appreciate are more expensive uh, but there is going mm-hmm. to be there is gonna be a paperback and yeah all different forms I tried to make it as accessible as possible and um, for everyone so yeah so there there you go go and go and treat yourself um, and and be nice and be kind to me be kind. <laughs> And I apologize anyone anyone um, listening to the audio book version because it was hard. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, it was much more enjoyable than I first thought. But, by God, is reading out loud difficult? Sorry. It really is. It's, like, really – do you know what I mean? It's, like, it really is because you, mm. you kind of forget parts you've written and you're like, oh, okay, so you've got to go back and – you don't have that many opportunities to go back because it's like quite quick paced. So so yeah, I wholeheartedly apologize in advance if you're and then at one point I, I started to cry. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, oh. so it's a bit of a I don't know, it's gotta be a whirlwind. And um and some words I just had such difficulty um pronouncing. <laughs> I was like How do you say that again So yeah It's got to be a laugh If anything It will make you laugh
0: Well I am so Looking forward to reading it And listening to it But I just want to say A massive thank you For taking So much time Out of your day To 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 come on This podcast It has been An absolute pleasure Thank you so much Can I take a selfie of us Please do Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of The Wheelchair Activist with Samantha. I am so pleased to wrap up the first season of The Wheelchair Activist podcast with her. It has been such a pleasure speaking with her, and I cannot wait to listen to her book. Before you go, if you liked Season 1 of The Wheelchair Activist, don't worry. We are coming back with a Season 2 in September. But as always, if you are able to donate anything so that we can continue to maintain very high standards of accessibility for this content, that would be absolutely amazing. We have a Patreon and a GoFundMe set up, so every little bit helps. And thank you so much for listening to any of the episodes you've heard in Season 1. And I will see you in September for Season 2. Bye!